Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Isaiah chapter 9. We'll have another Christmas message tonight. I know that'll be fine with all of y'all. And uh, tonight in the introduction, if you can remember, it will be the same or somewhat similar to what I'll be preaching Wednesday night. But I'm going to give you a little more information tonight. I won't have time to do Wednesday night. And so just want to give you that. So the scripture we read tonight is the same scripture we'll read Wednesday night, but we'll cover a different area of it. So look with me, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Isaiah 9, verse 1, again, 700, 700 to 750 years before Christ came, Isaiah prophesying concerning the Messiah concerning Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9 verse 1, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lighted, he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun. All right, Zebulun is Nazareth. And the land of Naphtali, and that's Capernaum. So the area uh, there, uh, Capernaum is right there around the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Nazareth, a little north of the Sea of Galilee. And afterwards did more grievous afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now notice verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. And now tonight, this is the area we'll cover. We're going to cover the first part just in the introduction, but cover it on Wednesday. Tonight, a very familiar passage if you've been a Christian very long, a prophecy concerning Jesus Christ. He says this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, talking about the Messiah. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order. Anybody see some familiarity with the, this morning's message? If you were paying attention this morning. And, it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless the message. Bless the reading of your word. Lord, let's let us again see Christ afresh anew tonight. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So before Christ was born, 700, 750 years before he was born, we have a prophecy concerning the Messiah. The first five verses are referring to the Messiah. We know this, if you will, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Important that you turn there if you want to see the cross-reference of why we know absolutely that this is talking about the Messiah. 
That's because Matthew tells us that it is. So, Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 12. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, all right, Zebulun, he came into Capernaum, which is upon the east coast, the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. You see the correlation there. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah. All right, so the Greek word for Isaiah is Isaiah. That's why in the New Testament you see Isaiah spelled differently. Everybody with me? I, don't, I haven't said that in a while. But sometimes people say, well, why is Isaiah you know, pronounced differently in the New Testament? Because the Greek uh, wording for it. All right, so then that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee and the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw what? Great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of the death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we know without a doubt that Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 is talking about the future Messiah. Who would come, who would be a great light. A great light to the region around the Sea of Galilee. There in Jordan. The promised one would come. That he would be a light in darkness. By the way, so you read verse 6 and 7, we know that he would be a light. Not only would he be a light in darkness, but he'd be a light politically. He'd be a light religiously. He'd be a light morally. A light to shine in darkness. A light would come into the world. Jesus said himself, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And then we are to be lights. John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, he said, I am not. They asked John the Baptist, are you the light? And I'll preach this Wednesday night, so I don't want to preach it all tonight. But just them, just them asking John the question, are you the light, means that the religious leaders understood what Isaiah chapter 9 was talking about and who it was talking about. All right, so just them asking the question of John the Baptist, are you the one who has come to be the great light? And John the Baptist said to them, I am not the light, but I was sent to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. In other words, I am not that light that was prophesied in Isaiah 9. The Messiah is to come, which lighteth every man, the Bible says there in John chapter 1. So we have Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. And then in verses 6 through 7, we see him, the promise of him establishing an earthly kingdom. The Jews wanted so desperately for the Messiah to come. There were those looking for him to come. There was a remnant who were looking for the true Messiah. They wanted one to come and deliver them from Roman oppression. They wanted the Messiah to come and deliver them from slavery. It's what they wanted. They believed that the prophecies in the Old Testament, they overlooked the ones of the Messiah suffering from you know, Isaiah and, and Jeremiah, they overlooked those. They didn't care about those. They didn't care that, you know, the, the prophets, all prophets, all of them prophesied that the Messiah would come and, 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 and suffer. They overlooked those. They only looked at the ones that we know referenced the millennial kingdom. They only referenced the ones or only looked at the ones that we know represent the battle of Armageddon or the end of the tribulation when Jesus Christ will come and defeat all of his enemies, where he will speak and the Bible says, and by the word of his mouth will destroy all of the enemies. And that there will be a day of judgment. He will set up the kingdom, 
They only wanted to see those verses concerning the Messiah. But here we see that indeed the Messiah will establish an earthly kingdom and a heavenly kingdom. A heavenly kingdom. So look with me in verse 6. So if you want to hear the rest of the message on verses 1 through 5, come back Wednesday night and we'll cover that. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. First thing we see here tonight is the promise of salvation. A child is born. God in the flesh. Humanity. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 said he would be the firstborn son. The firstborn son. He was born as a man, John 1.14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I quote a lot of these scriptures a lot to you guys. And we get so familiar with them. But 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God became flesh. I said this at the funeral earlier. We, I understand that the God of the universe, the God who made all things, put on skin. People didn't realize when they, when they bumped into Jesus, they bumped into God. They bumped into God. Jesus Christ was indeed God in the flesh. He, he was born as a child. We know that. He became flesh. As a child, he was born. As a son, he is given. Here referring to his deity. John 1.34, uh, John the Baptist and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And then John 1.34, he says, The Son of God. The Son of God. This is the Son of God. Jesus Christ was indeed the Son of God, the only begotten of God, co-equal with God. We know this again from Philippians 2, 6. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, Paul said. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of servant. And was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. But I just want you to see that part. Equal with God. The God-man. Just as much God as though he'd never been man. Just as much man as though he'd never been God. He was indeed the God-man. Unto us a son is given. Given. So here in a few days. Some of you already opened a bunch of presents. Some, I, I noticed on Facebook about half of you have already had Christmas. I have not received one gift. Well, I've gotten gifts, but not from my family yet. wonder what it's going to be this year. So how many of you ladies and, and children have a hard time buying for dads? You know why? Because we don't need nothing. We've conquered it all. <laughs> conquered it all. Yeah, just give me some socks. It's all good. Really, I don't, I don't need nothing. I'm difficult to buy for. I totally get it. Best thing to do is gift cards to eat. Not, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying I like to eat. So all of us have opened gifts already. Most of everybody has. But can we understand and we know that Christ is the greatest gift ever given? Amen. Unto us a son is given. He was given. Freely given. Isn't that amazing that God would give His only Son, His only begotten Son, to die and to live and die for us? Understand that Jesus is more than just another child. He was more than just a good man. He was more than just a teacher. He was God in the flesh. And tonight, may we as 
Christians be reminded that, Christ, that Christmas is not just about gifts. <laughs> it's not about gifts. It's not about Santa. It's not about family even. It's about Jesus Christ. Christ is the reason for Christmas. I, I still saw a couple even on my feed, uh, social feed, uh, people calling it Xmas. I think they've gotten away from it a lot. I'm thankful for that. You don't see it a lot of times now on houses. Used to when I was a kid, you'd see Merry Xmas on, you know, in lights on houses. You don't hardly see that anymore. But Christ is the reason for the season. And may we never forget that. There's a lot of kids in here this, tonight. And may you as a mom and a dad, and I'm going to remind you at the end of the message, but man, take the time and Help them to understand that Jesus Christ is indeed the reason for this season. He is the gift, and He is the greatest gift. The greatest gift. Remember the shepherds there, and the angels said, Good tidings, good news for all people. I'm thankful that God is no respecter of person. That Jesus Christ came to die for all, He lived for all, and He rose for all. I'm thankful that no matter your social standing, no matter your color, no matter, no matter anything, Jesus Christ died for you. So we see, number one, the promise of salvation. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Number two, we have the promise of hope. And I think this particular point um, maybe resonates much more today than it did two years ago. As it applies to government. I'm, one day Jesus Christ is coming to establish the kingdom. One day He's coming. And under the Son is given, and the government shall be upon His shoulders. His shoulders. When I think about this, I think about the shepherd as he would find a, child, a, a sheep that went astray, and he would pick that sheep up and put it on his shoulders, wrap the, both legs around his shoulders and carry, that, and carry that sheep back. One day, the government <laughs> will be on his shoulders. One day, all the political system will be upon his shoulders. And the reference here, and I alluded to it, especially verse 7, alludes to the Davidic covenant as we covered this morning with Kaniah's curse. So if you didn't get to hear the message this morning and you don't understand what I mean when I say Kaniah's curse, you can go back and you listen to it. Go online and listen to it. But in Genesis, we know in chapter 12, God promised Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We see this in Genesis 15. We see it in Genesis chapter 17. And then we see it through Isaac and through Jacob. And then finally, it skips. Again, you kind of think it's going to be Joseph, but it ends up being Judah, that royal line. The royal line then goes to David. And then in 2 Samuel, God promises David that his throne, that his throne would be established forever. 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 And we know, again, we've got to go back and listen to the message this morning about Kenai's curse that cut off that line. But the line, of course, through Mary, still there through the son, uh, through David's son, Nathan. But his, his, uh, he had established his kingdom forever. How is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Well, Luke chapter 1, verse 32 says, And the Lord shall give unto him, who? Give unto Jesus the throne of his father, David. Jesus Christ will sit on the throne forever and ever. John chapter 1, we know that they rejected him. It says he came into this world, and the world knew him not. They rejected him. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But to many as have believed on him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The Jews rejected Jesus. The Jews rejected the Messiah. They rejected the promised one. But the second time, they won't. The second coming of Christ, when he returns at the end of the tribulation, when he returns at the great battle of Armageddon, 
They won't reject him. They will accept him as the Messiah. The whole world will. And he will establish his kingdom forever. And verses 4 through 7 of this chapter help us understand what kind of kingdom he would establish. It gives us a glimpse into Jesus' reign. It gives us a glimpse of what real peace will be like. What righteousness and judgment will prevail. He will be a just king. That means he'll be fair. Everything he does will be right. I know Trump thought that. He thought everything he'd done was right. But Jesus Christ will do everything right. The faultless Son of God, the perfect Son of God, will rule and reign forever and ever and ever. We see in our own government today, especially the last couple of years, the scheming for power, the scheming for domination, testing the public. What freedoms will you give up? What will you allow the government to take over? We've been seeing this now for, it's not just the last two years, we've been seeing this now for years and years. But I'm telling you, there's flaws in America, and there's flaws in the political system of America. And we know that there's a one world government coming. Hello? Don't forget, there's a one world government coming. There's got to be changes to, to America in order for that to happen. They can't have folks like us who stand up and say, we, we're, we're for freedom, we're not giving in to tyranny. We're not giving in to these tyrants. We're, we're going to stand for right. We're not giving up our guns. <laughs> we're not giving up. We're not doing in these things. We're not giving up those things. Amen? Amen? Amen. And I use gun as an example, but there's many other, other freedoms. We were not going to give them up. So something has to happen. As J.C. House said, and it was repeated by Brother Wiggins last, uh, Wednesday night, uh, things are not falling apart. They're falling in place. And so Jesus Christ will establish... His kingdom. His, his kingdom will be a righteous kingdom. He'll no longer be a baby. He'll be the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's coming again. And maybe tonight. Then lastly, not only do we have the, the promise of salvation, the promise of hope, of an eternal kingdom, the promise of an eternal kingdom, but number three, the promise of comfort. His names, by the way, there's like 400 we could spend a lot of time on the names of Jesus. Wonderful, it says. Wonderful. This is speaking of His love and grace. Aren't you thankful for the wonderful love of Jesus? Aren't you thankful for the grace of Jesus? His unmerited favor. His undeserving favor to us. Wonderful. I love that little chorus. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Wonderful, wonderful. Oh, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful, wonderful it is to me. It's wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. He's more than wonderful. Let's sing that song too. You can think about three or four songs, but you guys will get tired of it. He's wonderful, wonderful counselor. Again, we think about counselor, we think about one who is a guide, one who is revealing, revealer of God's will and, and, uh, and God's ways. One who knows the heart of God. The wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God. So who's, what, ver, what are these verses, who are they talking about? These verses are prophecies concerning the Messiah. But yet it says, it refers to the Messiah as the mighty God. All right, everybody get this one now. So these are prophecies, this is a prophecy concerning the Messiah. 
But here it says that the Messiah is the mighty God. So even in the prophecy here, we see the deity of Christ. That he was God and man. That he was God and Jesus. That he was God. Everybody get me? We see it. So the Old Testament teaches the deity of Christ. The Old Testament teaches the Trinity. The mighty God. By the way, that's what separates us from cults. Because the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses do not believe that Jesus Christ was indeed God. By the way, they don't believe in the same Jesus we believe in. If they don't believe Jesus Christ was indeed God, they don't believe in the same Jesus we believe in. Again, there's some good people in those groups. There's some good people. they've They've been duped. But what separates us from the cults is that we understand and know, both Old and New Testament teach, that Jesus Christ is God. 1 John 5, 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come. This is the true God. I think, I think John understood he was God. That's, that's pretty emphatic, isn't it? Let me read that again. 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God is come. This is the true God. That's good stuff. Then the everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. What's that referring to? The deity. Again, deity. Eternality of Christ. The everlasting Father. Jesus said himself, he said, before Abraham was, what? I am. And when he said I am, we preached like eternally on that. We preached like 10 messages on it. When he said I am, he was referring to Exodus. And when God said to Moses, tell them the I am that I am has sent you. Jesus Christ was indeed the God. He was God who led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He was, the, he was God who spoke out of the burning bush. He is the eternal one. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And then, lastly, the Prince of Peace. I, I, when I think about this, I think about, again, the shepherds. That he said he'd be one to bring peace, goodwill toward man. Peace, goodwill toward man. Jesus Christ gives peace. He gives peace between us and God. We were at enmity with God. When we were born in this world, we were at enmity with God. And Jesus Christ bridges the gap. He restores fellowship between God and man. He reestablishes the relationship between God and man as we accept Him as a Savior. The Prince of Peace. He gives us peace individually when we accept Him as Savior between us and God. He also could give peace one day, and he will give peace one day collectively. Everybody here, I understand, I'm preaching to the choir on a Sunday night. Does everybody here understand there will be no peace until Jesus returns? There are still many who believe, who are all millennialists or post-millennial, who believe that we're going to usher in some kind of peace that will take place, that enough people will get saved and will usher in some kind of utopia. And I tell you, that's not what the Bible teaches. I was reading a book this week, uh, read a biography. It's actually a, it was actually a biography on uh, J. Frank Norris and, and Truett. Uh, George Truett was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas at the same time Norris was the pastor of First Baptist Church of Fort Worth. And this was in the 1910s, 20s, 30s, and 40s. 
And Fort Worth, uh, the First Baptist Church of Fort Worth was the largest church in America at the time. J. Frank Norris built that church, the largest church in America. By the way, he pastored two churches at the same time. He pastored the Detroit, there, the, the Temple Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan. At the same time, he pastored uh, the First Baptist Church of Fort Worth. And both of those churches were the largest churches in America at the time. Uh, First Baptist Church of Fort Worth, uh, in, in some ways, would run 22,000 people. It, he was the first, that was the first mega church. He was the quintessential uh, leader and example of what a mega church is. And so Truett was in Dallas, First Baptist Church of Dallas. I never would have thought Truett, who pastored First Baptist Church of Dallas until the mid-1940s, was a post-millennialist. And so if you think about it, if you are a post-millennialist, which means that you believe Jesus Christ is returning after the millennial kingdom or after, after the tribulation, then why, why be you know, adamant about soul winning? If we're going to usher in nirvana, if we're going to usher in this age of peace, then we don't have to be you know, you know, going about the business of winning people to Jesus. It's just going to, we're going to usher in peace. Uh, maybe some of y'all not getting it, but I was just blown away how anybody can believe from the Bible that we're going to usher in peace when the Bible makes it very clear that we're not. In fact, the Bible says in the end times it's going to get less peaceful. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Uh, the Middle East is going to be a disaster. I'm telling you, we need to look up for our Redeemer draweth nigh. We're living in those last days. It's here. And Jesus Christ is the one who will bring peace. He's the one who will bring peace uh, to our world. And I'm looking forward to that. I know you are too. I'm looking forward to the millennial kingdom. 1,000 years of peace. Then there'll be a little squirmish at the end of that. And then eternal, eternal kingdom of God. Eternal peace. So we see the promise of salvation, we see the promise of hope, and we see the promise of comfort, of that peace that only Jesus will bring. I just want to encourage you during Christmas to remember the reason for the season. Some ways we can do that is giving. I know some of you have given benevolence and our church will have a part in giving to some of those who, who have needs. But maybe you ought to look out for somebody around you other than your family. I'm talking about somebody outside your family, somebody you could be a blessing to, maybe a neighbor, or to be a, a blessing to them. Maybe it's a, a friend who, who needs some, some guidance and help. I know one year we made a birthday cake for Jesus. With your little kids, that's a pretty cool idea. Something to get their minds on the thought that Jesus Christ is the reason for the season. Make sure you read their Christmas story before they open the gifts on Christmas morning. Make sure you do that. I know my dad's been doing that with the grandkids for years and years. He's got a really nice little book. It's got pictures in it. You know, we want it to be biblical, but you can, you can find a good picture book to read with the little ones when they're three years old, two years old. Read it through. Let them know the reason for the season. Take the time. Be generous givers during this time of year, not just with your family, but with others. Again, 750 years prior to the birth of Jesus, we had the promise of salvation. I'm thankful I'm saved, aren't you? That Jesus Christ came. Son is born. A son is given. The hope that we have in knowing that one day there will be peace. Jesus Christ is the reason for the season.
Let's all stand. Hymn 500, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. After we pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Lord, that we might have salvation and hope and comfort. Lord, may we just remember that during this time, next few days. Lord, may each of us take the time to remember you and remember why we celebrate. And God, if there's someone that is around us who we might be able to influence, that we might be able to be a blessing to, would you show that to us? And Lord, may we be generous givers and give them the good news of salvation. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.